from the Greater Omaha Chamber in partnership with the Hyder College of Business at Creighton University. It's Lead Together, conversations to connect you and elevate all of us. A podcast to introduce you to successful leaders and inspire the leader within you. If I had to, to put it down to one statement, helping people live their best lives on their own terms is part of this, is my purpose, is why I'm here. Thank you for joining us for episode two of Lead Together. I'm your host, Todd Darnold. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you and welcome. Today we're talking with Nancy Williams, who is the co-founder and CEO of No More Empty Pots, a nonprofit organization which supports sustainable urban and regional food systems. Nancy originally formed No More Empty Pots in 2010, and in this episode, you'll learn about her journey and how she came to define her purpose to help people live their best lives. She starts with her childhood, which included strong agricultural influences. She has a great sense of humor, and you'll catch that right away. Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. It's a it's a long and winding story. Mm-hmm. Um, I I usually start out as sort of like the jerk. I was born a poor black child, but uh, <laughs> I grew up in a small town in rural Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I'm the oldest of six kids. Uh, we grew most of the food that we ate, so I spent a lot of time outside uh, gardening and growing food, and a lot of time inside uh, preserving food and canning and mm-hmm. doing things like that. Uh, I spent a lot of time babysitting siblings, um, but the part of the the journey that has me on the trajectory that I am now is that I was in 4-H. I was in FFA. Um, my grandmother was an 1890 extension aide. So if you know about extension, um, the land grant universities are 1862 and the historically black colleges are 1890s. And uh, one of my grandmothers was an 1890 extension aide through Southern University. And in our uh, small town, in our parish, um, she made sure that all kids got rounded up and got involved in things. And so we did National Junior Horticulture Association uh, tests. I remember first time I, I learned what a rutabaga was, I was about eight. Uh-huh. And we didn't grow rutabagas, but she was like, it's like a turnip. And she had all of these uh, different things out there. We did uh, sewing uh, because it's the South and Louisiana sewing with cotton contest where we make uh, our own clothes and then exhibit them and model those and be in contests for that. Yeah. So did that for a long time. I was in 4-H all the way through college. Nancy went on to study horticulture at Louisiana State University. She admitted that she chose horticulture over medicine because, and I quote, plants don't talk and plants don't bleed. She excelled in her agricultural classes and earned a fellowship to study plant pathology and weed science at Cornell University. We pick back up with Nancy talking about how a job offer led her to warm and sunny Omaha. I was um, offered a job for DuPont. And at the time, I just uh, had a kid, a first son, and I just got married and I had two stepkids in my fellowship didn't go quite as far uh, as it did with one person. Uh-huh. And so when I got a job offer, that was many thousands more than what I was uh, getting through the fellowship. I was like, yes, I will take that. Yeah. And um, when I was there for training, um, the recruiter said, okay, we need you in Omaha next week. And I was like, great. Is that like Chicago? And uh-huh. he gave me like this blank office stare um, like that, like he was one of the characters on the office. Uh, and he said, um, no, it's like, okay, I guess it's not 
like Chicago. <laughs> we'll see what it's like when I get there. Yeah. Um, and I got to Omaha and it was February of 1993. And there was crazy weather going on then, which turned out to just be normal weather uh-huh. for Nebraska in yeah. February. It was so windy. I wondered where did all the trees go? There were no wind breaks. There was snow. Uh, and since then, we've been here for 25 years, uh-huh. though. So we've raised kids here. They've got an education here. And it's um, it's been a good experience. Nancy worked for DuPont for almost 10 years and then decided to change gears. She worked as the technology director for the Boys and Girls Club for over 14 years before returning to food when she co-founded No More Empty Pots. I was curious to better understand what shaped this journey. So I asked Nancy, who was influential to her. I've had so many um, because now I'm nearing 50 and I'm in that reflective mode of how did I get here and what am I doing? Uh, and what is the next 50 years going to be like? Um, and so I've been very fortunate and blessed to have had people to care about my well-being and what happens to me uh, my entire life. Uh, it started with my parents and So I will say my mother first, she would always say, when you know better, do better. Uh, But she wouldn't always say the do better part. She is an educator at heart. She would say, when you know better, what? And we have to fill in the sentence. And that that is how she lives or like everything is a teachable moment. And um, I feel the same way about everything. Uh, And I've actually heard people say that back to me, like, that I believe everything is, is a learning opportunity because I do. Um, so my parents were early, my mother, uh, specifically my, uh, grandparents because, um, they always encourage us to do more. Um, that there are other people that have come before us to pave the way and that it's not just an opportunity, but it's responsibility. Um, they would always say education is the one thing that no one can ever take from you. So make sure that you do all you can to take advantage of educational opportunities that are in front of you. And then they would make sure that we had those things. So could you think of anyone uh, who fits that supportive mentoring role uh, in your professional career? Yes. Um, there was one person early on, um, Nancy Mammel has been a champion for uh, the work we do at No More Empty Pots. And I remember once uh, when we were doing uh, this work early on, she said to remember what you bring to the table. And for women, a lot of times we discount our talents and our leadership ability and all of this. And I, I am reminded of that over and over again. And we've been working on this for now eight years. Um, and I also share that with other young women who seem to sometimes not quite feel confident in what they're doing and how they're doing it, but helping them uh, to remember that they're here for a reason, that there are a lot of things that got you to this point. It's not just by happenstance. You've had support, but there's also a responsibility that goes with that. And then remember that you're not just here for yourself. But you are here for a lot of other people and that you're not just bringing yourself to the table, but you're bringing all of them with you. That's great. Tons of great stuff in there. 
Um, so how do you measure success personally and professionally? And then if you could, could you tell us a story about how you've reflected on success mm -hmm. and uh, when you, when you were successful? Well, uh, I love data and I love using um, evidence for things. Uh, I love evidence-based programs. Uh, I credit Boys and Girls Club with helping me learn that from a youth development and social perspective. Um, but I've loved uh, research since I was in high school. My career goal in high school, and I remember sitting in my desk uh, in chemistry uh, a long time ago, because I graduated in 86, so this was probably 84 or 85, thinking, I'm going to be a double postdoc because I don't ever want to have to go get a job. Uh -huh. I just want to keep learning and experimenting. Um, and I learned that there were postdocs and that that was a thing and you could do that. Um, but life didn't turn out that way. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm more of a, a serial worker. <laughs> I just like to do a whole bunch of stuff. And there are not many people who will tell me no, that I can't do it. Um, so I love using data and evidence to prove success. Um, now that I know more about um, outcomes and logic models and metrics, um, I try to use that same process um, in everything that I do professionally. But in uh, for personal goals as well is having a vision and then working through that doing the things that I need to do in order to achieve that. I am, uh, I didn't realize that I was a patient person, um, but I have been told a long time that I have a lot of patience, but I don't think that it's so much that is being patient, but is willing to take the long road to get to where I think we need to be. Mm -hmm. um, so, it took us seven years from when the community uh, stakeholders said that we want a shared use commercial kitchen to when we actually had a shared use commercial seven years. And I was like, I don't do anything in seven years but raise children. There is no reason that it should take seven years to do this kind of thing. But because of the level of community engagement, it takes to make sure that it is a community-informed thing and not just a thing that you recognize could have a benefit and so you go do it, but you don't have the buy-in and support to get there. And it needs to be informed by people that will benefit or be impacted by it. And to do that, it takes time. And so what matters most, I think, is the vision ahead of time. And what do you do to make sure that you authentically engage in the effort and the work that it takes to achieve that vision and that outcome? So I like results. I like getting things done. I, it's one reason why I like growing things is that you plant a seed and it feels like magic. If there's sunlight and water and air, and that's all you got yeah. and you get this plant that then gives you another plant. Also, um, like maximizing things. And so when you can plant one seed and get like 30,000 seeds that's like from like a tomato, uh -huh. that's like the ultimate thing for people who have a maximizer strength. It's like, 
it's really, really nice really to be in this space. How did you know when you were personally successful? I'm always not sure. That's the things that uh, I think that's the hardest for me. I don't believe that that there's such thing as like success for people. I have trouble with that mm-hmm. um, because I see it as I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to do. I don't couch that in success. Pe- when people offer awards for things, I'm confused by that. Mm-hmm. Like, this is just, but I guess that's one metric when people, other people recognize your work and your engagement and they want to give you a reminder of the benefit of that in the community or how they see it through an award or some recognition. Um, I measure honestly my success by whether other people got what they needed. Like, am I, I'm successful as a parent if our kids got what they needed to live their best lives on their own terms. I guess if I had to say, there's one thing, uh, if the things that I'm involved with, whether it's raising kids, being a, um, a, a sibling or um, uh, working in the community or being on a team, um, if everyone involved gets to live their best life on their own terms, then I've done what it is I need to do. Tell us a story about a time when you led with your heart well not leaving your head behind. Oh my gosh. You talked a lot about data, so I know you kind of get this. Yes. Um, The heart thing is hard um, because it took me a while. The, The person that you're talking to right now is not the person that I was two years ago, Mm -hmm. just two years ago. Becoming um, the CEO of this organization has just been a 180 for how I live on a daily basis. I was all about getting things done. Like people will come along when they come along, but we got to get this done. Um, But I've learned from a lot of different things that, you have to put people first in this. And so now our work is around being people-centered. And anything that I do, I try to make sure that there's the voice of people involved in this. Like, I knew that people voice was important in community work, but, like, it didn't really... It wasn't as important in trying to get things done. But that is a disconnected way of living, And you cannot arrive at the place that you need to be if you separate the work and the heart. And it was in a yoga class once in 2015. It was in a yoga class. Um, I was lying there and the yoga instructor said, you know, uh, go to your heart center. You know, hear the beat. I'm like, I know I have a heart (laughs) I don't listen to it. I have to focus because I don't, I started freaking out. Like I don't hear my heartbeat. I don't know how to do this because I'm just used to doing stuff, not being still enough where I could hear my own heartbeat. Mind you, I was over 40 years old and I had lost that. And so I'm lying there going, I've got to get this. I've got to get this. And I heard like this faint thing. It's like, 
think I hear it. And then it comes in. It's like, I can hear my heart beat. And then in that position and getting to that point, there's a whole nother level of awareness that comes with that. It's like, oh, there are a lot of things that I'm not doing the way that I should be doing this. Like I'm living, but I'm not living. Like I don't, I couldn't really call that living. I was doing things and existing. I realized I knew how to work and get things done, but I didn't know how to live. And so the past two years, while doing all of this other stuff and learning how to run an organization and lead people and manage people, which are totally different things, um, I'm also learning how to be a whole person. It is so many things now where I've incorporated heart with this. Um, in working with um, staff, we're trying to make sure that we get the best people on the team that also fit into the culture of the organization while we are developing the culture mm -hmm. of the organization. We've only had full-time employees since 2016, but it's in this process of connecting to my heart, learning to be a leader. And I'm not even just saying a better leader, but learning how to lead because you can't, if you're not vulnerable, you can't be vulnerable if you're not connected to your heart. And working with other people, they see that. And the, the thing that I tell everybody who comes to us to work is that you have to be vulnerable and open because people who are in poverty can see that from a mile away. They deal with enough stuff on a daily basis. They, they don't need you and your ego to show up. You need to be there fully ready to be of service with your heart wide open and vulnerable so that you can get where they are and know how to help. And that's with anybody, but that is especially when dealing with people who are working through issues related to poverty. I didn't realize there was so much people stuff, I think, yeah. uh, and an executive director of a nonprofit. I was like, okay, we have these outcomes. We have this vision. We know what stuff we need to do. We have a timeline. We know how much money we need to raise. Let's go get this thing done. And then the first uh, three months, I'm praying out loud, driving on the interstate, going, God, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, if this is something I'm supposed to do, I need some help, like, right now. Well, I think it's clear. Nancy found the help she needed. She went from plants to technology to helping people through plants. To learn more about Nancy Williams and No More Empty Pots, go to nmepomaha.org. That's nmepomaha.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Lead Together. As Nancy's mother mentioned, everything is a teachable moment. So we leave you with a lesson Nancy learned, which can help all of us. And so I've learned to be more present and not get distracted by things and not multitask because you really can't do that that well. When it comes to people, you have to be present and focused. Thanks to all of you for listening. And thank you to the Greater Omaha Chamber and the Hyder College of Business at Creighton University for supporting this podcast. Remember, we don't coast, we lead together. This podcast was produced by Liz Kerrigan with help from Linda Schaefer, Jill Bruckner, and Peter Burno. 
I'm your host, Todd Darnold, and we look forward to our next conversation. 